I mean, what's that football group is doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. It's our bonus episode. That's right. We've been doing Fridays as well for all of our great fans. Wow, I'm pretty loud today. It's, it's echoing here. Is it? I don't know. I feels, didn't hear an echo. Feels loud. How you doing, man? Good. How about you, Steve? Doing great. Excellent. We are, we're here to answer all the NFL drafts burning questions. That's what we've titled it, so we'll answer some burning questions, but we've, it's mostly our way to get into the mailbag. Hmm. So we've got some mailbag questions, some regular NFL questions, and I might even hijack the whole podcast and talk about PFF critical factors because I wanted to. Oh, God. And you said no. Yeah. So we'll see how um, it goes. People have been flying in from uh, – or mailbag questions have been flying in from a whole bunch of weird places. I have noted some of the more obscure. Uh, Harare, I assume, Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. We got a letter from Zimbabwe. We got a letter from Zimbabwe, which is great. Do you want to take a stab at pronouncing the next one just because – comedy place name oh uh, you just threw it on Izvek <laughs> Izvek Russia uh, I think that's Ishevsk Russia oh, which is way the, better than mine yeah which is the city that gave the world the AK-47 apparently he put in parentheses the is gun that the outer reaches of Russia I don't is know way up there I have no I my geographical knowledge of Russia is limited to about three cities and that is one of them city in um, Russia. he says the gun and the player I wasn't aware there was a player who's the, who's the AK-47 as a player I, I didn't um, and apparently home of the second largest artificially made pond, the largest up until 2008, he thinks. Uh, so there you go. And one from Western Afghanistan. Yeah, that's great. And so now we've got, and we've got Tasmania, as we mentioned. New Zealand. A lot Jersey. of New Zealanders. A lot of Irish. Yeah. Places Pretty all good. over the place. So yeah, anyway, yeah. Those, are, <laughs> those are cool. PFF NFL podcast worldwide. A uh, couple housekeeping items to kick things off. Draft30 is the promo code that you need. You could pause and go check it out, pff.com. Type in Draft30 as the promo code. You get 30% off any PFF subscription. That's Edge or Elite. Again, I just want to advise that if you're going to do it, uh, if you're going to sign up, just do it now. Do it with the promo code. You get 365 days of access. If you're just looking for the draft guide, well, the draft guide you'll get next year as well. So you're paying for two draft guides, essentially, for mm-hmm. the price of one. So that's a great deal. Um, the other thing is, yes, keep sending in proof of concept, proof that you are subscribed to the PFF NFL Daily and this, the PFF NFL Podcast. We have hundreds of those coming in, and I will continue to pick more winners. Gary Hughes won last time. You guys will be receiving emails in the next couple of days, I promise. Um, so we have two winners so far. Maybe we'll do two more on the show today okay for previous people that have sent them in so keep sending them in we'll do this maybe through the draft or maybe through all of our draft recaps we'll see you didn't want to talk about the big news which is adam shafter reporting that commissioner goodell has been vaccinated and will be allowed just, to hug the players who attend on thursday night's draft hipaa man bro keep hugs your, are permitted take keep your medical 
keep your medical I believe, information I believe, private. I believe Raj volunteered the information, and therefore it's not a HIPAA violation. Okay. Well, good job, Raj. You spell his name right? I think you spelled it right. There's a D in there, isn't there? I didn't spell anything. I just copied and pasted. Is there a D? There's not, huh? Is it regular Roger? Yeah, it's just G. I'm just glad Roger is, is going to be hugging people. Yeah. Everything. Bro hugs are allowed. Post, uh, Ian Rappaport says post-drafted interactions are unscripted and brief. Let's start with this. Um, did somebody email this, this Dolphins-Bengals theory to you? Uh, yeah. Uh, who was it? Cole. Cole Wilkinson. Cole Wilkinson. Um, so what was the, it was basically the Bengals should be well holding the number five pick. Yes. Hostage. To ransom. Ransom. Yeah. <laughs> to the Dolphins, right? The idea being, look, if Miami was gaming this whole thing out to say that, hey, we think there's a pretty good chance that the Bengals are going to take Sewell, the offensive lineman, leaving us with Jamar Chase, who was the player we wanted at number three overall anyway. And therefore, what we have done is dropped down three spots in the draft, picked up a first round pick uh, as a bonus and drafted the player we were going to take anyway at number three, that would make Miami genius, right? If you're Cincinnati, and that is the plan, could you, and and as we spent 20 minutes arguing yesterday, Sewell versus Chase is effectively a coin flip for them, right? Do you not therefore get on the phone with Miami and say, oh, if you want Chase, that's fine, but it's going to cost you a pick to come up and take number five, otherwise we're drafting him because we don't really care which way we go. You do. If you want him to still be there when you're picking, you're going to have to pay us for this draft pick. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's truly a coin flip. If it's truly a coin or flip even, between Panay even close, cause, I mean, and Chase. Even close. You, you, what, how much is the difference versus the pick that you could extort Miami for? I, I think, yeah, because I think the underrated part of all of our Bengals analysis here, it's always been centered around build around Joe and the whole thing. It's still a team in a complete rebuild. It's a team that has, you know, defensive line issues, secondary. They brought some players in in the secondary, but it's not like they're loaded defensively. We've spent all of our time talking about the Bengals, offensive tackle, receiver, uh, interior O-line. All these things need to, need to be filled. But if you're the Bengals, adding more draft picks, again, it's, all, it's always the right answer. It's always the right answer because they, they need depth. Depth is so crucial in the NFL. So if the Bengals can steal one extra draft pick and still get one of the you know a, a player, I think that's absolutely a smart move. I don't know if the Dolphins fall for it, but yeah, I mean, well, there's you could even you could do it two ways, right? Either you just call them up and bluff. It's like, hey, if you want Jamar Chase, you're gonna have to pay to get him because otherwise we're drafting him in ten minutes time. Bye bye. The phones the phones here if you want to make us an offer, and then just hang up and wait. Now, if they don't, if Miami doesn't call back, you draft who you, whoever you were going to draft anyway. Alternatively, you could also call their, like, make it a, a legitimate threat, follow through with it, draft Jamar Chase, and then one of two things happens. Either, okay, who cares? You drafted the player that was a relative coin flip for you anyway. He helps. It's all good. You could potentially even do that deal after the draft, right? Well, not after the draft, after the pick has gone in. So actually draft Jamar Chase, make, make it obvious to Miami that you weren't joking, and then maybe Miami comes calling once you've selected him and say, okay, we'll, now we'll do it, right? We thought you were bluffing, you weren't. We want Jamar Chase, here's whatever pick to get him, and you can have our pick that's currently on the clock. Who do you think Miami likes the most out of the receivers? Because you, Jamar Chase is the guy, right? In, on our board and a lot of others. But do you, how much, 
the thing that makes Chase also more attractive to the Bengals is the Joe Burrow connection. We've seen those guys play well together. Yep. What about Tua and then the Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle connection? Yeah. Um, I'm the the Devontae Smith thing is is still interesting. I mean, the report then came out that they finally got him on the scales, right? He said he was 170 at his pro day, told everybody that's what he played at, that's what he's that was his weight. But apparently at the medical uh, the medical combine, like the, the scouting combine in Indy still went ahead, but it was essentially just 150 guys getting medical screening in the one facility. Um, the medical combine got Devontae Smith on the scales. And at the medical combine, he was apparently 166 pounds. Yikes. Now, I mean, 166, 170, what the hell does it matter? It's four pounds different. But the point is the number keeps getting smaller. And it's like, ah, he's 180. Now he's 175. Now he says he's 170. Now he turns out he's actually 166. It just it keeps getting progressively slightly more scary. Like the, the scariest thing I heard about it is, remember Bernard Berrien, Bears, yeah. Vikings receiver, built like a stick? Long, skinny receiver. Yes, who was the same height as Devontae Smith. He had... 20 pounds on him 20 25 what is, i can't remember what i listed him at but 20 to 25 pounds more than Devonte smith for a guy who was essentially built the same like if a if a notoriously skinny receiver who had 20 to 25 pounds on you you are so skinny it's ridiculous so i still love Devonte smith i think if you didn't know that he was that weight it wouldn't it, it wouldn't come up as a thing like it's immediately obvious when you're watching the tape but it doesn't show up anywhere. You don't find these plays where you're like, oh yeah, there he is getting bullied because he's 166 pounds. So you shouldn't care, I don't think. But just the fact that it would make him such a ridiculous outlier if he was a really good player at that weight. It's so hard to find any precedent for that whatsoever. It has to at least linger in the back of your mind and scare you a little bit. And for me, it's enough to separate him and Chase, you know, as a as a tiebreaker. I think they're very, very close as receivers, but Jamar Chase outweighs him by like thirty five pounds or something ridiculous. So go with that, right? But if you're Miami and you're like, we've seen him play in college with Tua, we think honestly he has the best skill set in terms of he wins with separation, and that's the missing element to this receiving group right now. Um, he's the most natural fit the question essentially becomes like how much does 166 pounds scare you because on on like on the field in college those guys were very very comparable i think they're tiebreakers like you said i think if you if you said skill set wise jamar chase and Devonte smith are similar and then you get into you just go through all the tiebreakers right and i think that was the one-year wonder discussion that we had yesterday i i would envision a world where teams do this right you throw labels on guys and all that stuff but you have a grade on the player what do you think he's going to be as a player but i think all of these things need to be tabbed so if a guy's a one-year wonder you have that noted if a guy is undersized for his position and in his uh is a rarity you know the way he's built or whatever it is you you note that so it's about just kind of like adding all these you know it's like before you get married you probably put like a pros and cons list together right I'm kidding. So you, but like, when you, if you're making a real decision, maybe buying a house, maybe not, maybe not marriage, Sam. You're buying a house. You put some pros and cons together, right? Has uh, has the the number of bedrooms I'm looking for, but you know, it doesn't have a yard. You know, you put some pros and cons together, and you then you figure out where it lands when you put it side by side. So I think you put it in the uh, in the negative category for Devonte Smith, uh, 
But I also think um, Jim Nagy made the point that, you know, somebody, when Russell Wilson was being drafted, the draft room that he was in, I think it was the Chiefs, you know, they, they brought up, okay, why, was, why is Russell Wilson not a first rounder? Don't say height. Hmm. And nobody had an answer. Right. Right. So if that's, if, and that's a fair assessment. There's a few players that's, that that's buck that trend, right? Yeah. That's the thing because, like, technically, it's not even a negative if you think about it, right? Like, the, it's a, it's, it's something that should cause a negative somewhere, right? Like Russell Wilson's height. Why is that a negative? Because it, it usually prevents a quarterback from doing X, Y, and Z, or at least that's the perception. Now, go onto the tape and show me where that's actually happening, and you have an argument. If you can't, then why do I care? And that's the Devontae Smith thing. It's like, okay, 166 pounds is a negative because it means you're too lightweight to deal with big corners who can press you on the outside. You're going to get stuck at the line of scrimmage. You're not going to be able to separate because those guys are going to manhandle you. Now turn on the tape and show me where that's happening because you can't because Devontae Smith has the best grade and the best PFF grade of any of these receivers against press coverage. That dude can't be pressed at the line of scrimmage. It doesn't matter. He doesn't get physically bullied in his routes. He doesn't get beaten at the catch point because he's 30 pounds less than the guy that's trying to cover him, at which point the weight isn't a negative. Like the, the, right. the weight should cause these negatives, but it doesn't. So it, it's, it's more that it's just a fear. It's not even, I don't think, an, an, a, a firm negative against him. It's just this is unknown, and we fear the unknown in draft time. I, I would treat it just like you treat any other – the, um, observation when you're watching the film, you know, to your point. So if you have an offensive lineman who's, you know, slow in his kick step or something like that, if he can make up for it with with length and and good and he takes good, um, his pass sets are still technically sound and you're cutting off the defender the right way. You just happen to be slow. Then you answer the question how how much does the slow part matter, right? So if you're gonna say this guy's not good at getting off press. Okay, well, that's a, that's an issue. But if you're just going to say, well, this guy's light, okay, show yeah. me it when he's not able to get off press or, or at the catch point or whatever, wherever you need strength. To me, it, it should be treated like a weird number in athletic testing that you didn't anticipate, right? So you, you, a lot of times you see a guy and you have a, fi a feeling on where he is in terms of height, speed, weight, size, explosion, whatever it is. And then the pro days happen and the combine happens and suddenly a guy pops up with a weird number that nobody was expecting. Um, and what that does, it doesn't completely change your entire evaluation, but what it does is, ooh, that's odd. Let's go back to the tape and figure out if we can see that anywhere. So if a guy shows up and runs like a 40 that's way faster or slower than anybody was expecting, you don't just go, oh, that changes entirely what we thought about this player. You go, okay, let's go back to the tape and see if we can figure out where that came from. To me, that's what you should. That's what Devonte Smith's weight should do. It's like, okay, he's really, really lightweight. Let's go back to the tape and just make sure that we don't find places where that's a problem. Because you can see that issue with receivers. It's not like it's a thing that's hidden and it's you only find it out when you get to the NFL. Like I had that concern with Andy Isabella, right? Insane PFF college grade, incredibly productive. But when I went through his tape, you're like, he is really lightweight and you can see it regularly, right? Now, they did a lot to make sure that he wasn't press covered, but you could see him get bumped off routes when he was running them and all those kinds of things. Any kind of contact was a real problem for him. You don't see that the same thing with Devontae Smith. So it, there's no evidence yet of that weight being a problem for him, at which point 
I'm inclined to just sort of trust what you see and not care. But the lower the number gets, the scarier it becomes. And that's just human nature. To me, the closest comparison I could think of in terms of like body shape, somebody that looks as cartoonish as he does was Todd Pinkston. Remember him for the Eagles spanking Andy Reid, Donovan McNabb, Brian Westbrook tenure where they didn't have any receivers? Todd Pinkston, now Pinkston is taller and therefore bigger. He's like 6'3", but I think he was 6'3", 180, which proportionally is about the same as 6' and and 166. Um, And Pinkston was a pretty good receiver. Now, Pinkston's biggest failing is that he had alligator arms and didn't really want to go over the middle and get annihilated by guys that were bigger than him if Devonte, if you even if you I don't, i'm not even comparing them as players more as just body type but even if you just said okay Devonte smith is todd pinkson without being that much of a scaredy cat over the middle that's a pretty damn good player right off the bat let's go back and evaluate pinkston you just keep dropping these mid 2000 i gotta go watch pinkston now i gotta yeah. go watch mark bulger uh-huh. Devonte's quarterback mac jones yep so we had mark bulger throwing to todd pinkston yep this year that's not exciting for top 10 players talked about in the but top 10. Isn't it, though? Like, this is the thing. I Nate Tice had this kind of shtick, this pre-draft process. I knew I was the, saying, yeah. The athletic the, guy. The I, I don't even know if he was deliberately doing it to troll people or if th- this is just, like, realism. Everybody wants to compare a draft prospect to a Hall of Famer. This is the next Randy Moss. This is the next Tyree Kill. This is the next Miles Garrett. Whatever it is. But realistically, even the good players are just going to be good NFL players. At, like, that's, a, that's an absolute home run, even in the top 10, if these guys just become good NFL players. So like, why, if you get Mark Bulger thrown to Todd Pinkston, or particularly Mark Bulger throwing to Todd Pinkston without the alligator arms, that's a pretty damn good return. Is it, though? Yeah. Is Mark Bulger really? was a 10? very good quarterback for... A period of time until he got broken by that offensive line. In the top line. ten, yeah. Mark Bulger forced you want a the Rams. Bit better than that. Mark Bulger forced the Rams to move on from friend of the show, Hall of Famer Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner, who was at the time probably the greatest single story in NFL history, a dude that was stacking shelves that became Super Bowl yeah, MVP. Bulger was good. He was good. Super Bowl and league MVP, leader of the greatest show on turf offense. Bulger played well enough that the Rams moved on from Kurt Warner, like voluntarily said, all right, your time is done, Kurt. This guy is taking over. He's going to be the future. And he was right up until the offensive line just broke the dude. We've had other questions. So the Devontae Smith uh, discussion had me thinking this too. Somebody asked about speed receivers, I think, in one of the emails. And this has been like the burning question for me for years. Like what separates these guys that I'm chasing, the Deshaun Jacksons, the Tyreek Hills. Do you have a we've discussed this before, but do you have a take on that? Like what separates one four three guy from the next? Because I because it I I feel like I know football pretty well. And I still struggle with what you're seeing. I know what I'm looking for. I do know what separates them, but there's certain traits that you know Tyreek Hill has or Deshaun Jackson has that some of these other guys don't. But Deshaun Jackson is is pretty he's a limited receiver, right? I mean, he mm-hmm. is a pure deep threat. He's not going to be catching passes over the middle. He's he's good after the catch and what have you, but like you just you want him stretching the field. How does he keep getting open down the field? So what separates them from 
other four three guys like a Darius Hayward Bay, who was six three two twenty or whatever he was. Darius Hayward Bay and John Ross and some of these other guys. What are the things? Why isn't football as simple as run fast by everybody because you run four three? Well, there's a few things. One, a lot of those four three guys probably aren't like this idea of the 40 versus actual play speed and you know there was a big article about how the rams are not even really taking 40 times seriously anymore they're using the tracking data and analyzing what a guy's actual play speed is as opposed to what their timed track speed on a 40 yard dash is so i bet a bunch of those guys that we think of as being like four three track stars really aren't when you get a pad a set of pads on them um and then i think another thing is being able to avoid contact from defensive backs in the course of your route and when you do get contacted clearing it immediately i think is a really important thing and that is what we talked about with uh, richard sherman um xavier howard has talked about this it's what people are projecting for jc horn but it doesn't matter really how fast you run as a cornerback if you're capable of getting stuck on a receiver with contact and now technically you know you get the five yard chuck and then you're not really allowed to mess with them but you do right it's hand fighting in quotation marks is what it's called now but that hand fighting enables you to stop a faster guy running past you if you maintain contact which is just there's a line right there's a, a line between hand fighting and this is illegal contact you're not allowed to do that um, if you're able to maintain the right side of that line so that the officials don't throw a flag on it, that contact is what enables a guy who's three-tenths of a second faster over the 40 to not be able to run past you. And if you do that, you're not going to separate, um, and you won't, A, you won't get a bunch of these targets, and B, you won't have the production at the end of it because the guy is all over you. If you're a receiver that understands how to use your hands and clear that contact and stack their cornerback and then run past them, or just make enough moves so that they, they never get the contact in the first place. I think that's the thing that separates most of these speed receivers. It's just that nuance and ability to understand how to clear contact. Now, Devontae wouldn't be considered a speed receiver, so to speak. But one of my notes when watching him is that he gets to even with the corner pretty quickly, right? Like he gets, and that's part of it too, right? So it's getting off press. But once you get to even with the cornerback, you know, even you're leaving, right? So that's when the, the that's what the quarterback sees, and that's when they can drop it in there, and then you can start positioning your body for for catching the ball downfield. I think that's the other thing, right? If you said what makes what made Randy Moss special, go back and listen to our Randy Moss episode. We talked about this a little bit. He ran in the high four twos or four threes or whatever it was, legitimately back then, had the length and the size, but he just knew. If the cornerback was on his hip, he knew that that cornerback was never going to play through him. He knew how to keep him stacked. He knew how to position his body down the field to catch the ball. That's the other component. So call it play strength, call it tracking and ball skills or whatever you want to, but it's all of that kind of combined where not every 4-3 speed guy is the same. And those those skills are crucial. And that's where I think a Tyree Kill, not, Tyree Kill's special, I think, because of the speed and quickness that he has, I, that combination is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um but he also knows how to catch the ball down the field pretty well. Nobody was as good as Moss at doing this, but Devontae has elements of this. Jamar Chase has elements of this. Um, I keep mentioning Tyree Kill because the entire NFL, this is, you said Nate Tice is making comparisons of random players from the last 15 years. Well, everybody's just throwing Tyree Kill around every year. Yeah. Henry Ruggs was going to be Tyreek. Now it's Jalen Waddell. Uh, but friend of the show, 
uh, Greg Cosell has made the Jalen Waddle Tyree Kill comparison. Everybody has. It's like that must be the most widely made comparison. I feel I feel, I feel better when Greg like Greg does not just throw comparisons out there. I don't I, think he's seen a lot of players and his the way he worded it on our another friend the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. We got a lot of friends of this with show. Ross. Yeah, we've had a lot of people. Um, with Ross, he said something like, "I've never seen a guy." maintain his speed in and out of his breaks at that um just being being that fast and maintaining his speed and that is what makes Tyreek special and he put Waddle in that conversation yeah look I I think I we said this before that it is it's it's a good comparison in terms of when you describe Tyreek Hill a lot of those descriptions also apply to Jalen Waddle in a way that they don't for some of these other players like Henry Ruggs does not fit the description of Tyreek Hill. When you start teasing out what makes Tyreek Hill so great, that combination of speed and quickness and the size and the strength at that size and all those kinds of things, you're not describing Henry Ruggs. You are describing a lot more closely Jalen Waddle. So from that point of view, it does make sense as a comparison. My issue with it is simply, if you're saying this is the next Tyreek Hill, it's probably bad. If you're saying this guy has a lot of similar attributes to Tyree Kill, and look how successful that is, that makes a lot more sense. But if you're saying, well, we should take this guy in the top 10 because, look, he's Tyree Kill 2.0, that, to me, is just silly. I mean, I would... If the payout could be Tyree Kill, and, it's, you know, and it lands a little bit lower, and that's fine, you know, it's Will Fuller-ish, I'm okay with that. Again, we've, we've discussed. What are the burning questions that we have here, Sam? Um, somebody was asking a, a sort of interesting uh, discussion about linebackers generally, right? There, he's sort of went through a guy called Will, Will Eddowes, I think. Uh, essentially said zero of the recent eight high picks uh, in the draft at uh, uh, the linebacker position have been home runs, right? Some of them are still to be determined. Some of them have a higher rep than they actually have been. Um, I Was it... Uh, Bruce Feldman had this article talking to a bunch of scouts and, and coaches and all these kinds of things about this year's draft and basically getting their takes on people anonymously, obviously. And uh, some guy like listed out, oh, all the great linebackers in today's NFL do X, Y, and Z. I think they were talking up JOK, but like they listed a bunch of linebackers that aren't even good. It's like Patrick Queen, you know, like, all the top linebackers can run around. They're, they're like 215 and, and speedy guys like Patch. You know, he was bad last year. Yeah. Anyway, they listed a bunch of guys, several of whom weren't even good. But his point, there hasn't been a good hit rate for linebackers. We talked about it last year that it was like two good linebackers in the NFL. It's been a position that PFF college grading has struggled with as much as any position. Um, it, basically, A, what the hell is going on with linebacker generally? And B, yeah. what does that mean looking at this draft class with Micah Parsons, JOK, Zayvon Collins, Jamin Davis, etc. Jamin, yeah. Jam, Jamin, Jamin, I believe. Yeah, I, no, it's J. Is it J. Mean or J. Min? It's definitely J. I don't know. Look it up. I did, and I, I can't remember. Of recent NFL linebackers, I think uh, first rounders at least. Roquan Smith is the closest. Has developed yeah. into the best. Everybody's going to say Devin White. Um, our Devin White grade does not match perception. That's one of the guys you're talking about. I mean, he flies around the football. There's just so. Here's the thing. I think we're still – I think people are still behind with evaluating linebackers. Um, Devin White is a fantastic pass rusher, which is – for a linebacker, that's a blitzer. 
right? It's not, it's not rushing the passer. So there's a difference between blitzing and rushing the passer and being an, an edge rusher. Devin White's a really good blitzer. Blitzing for a linebacker is the third most important thing that they do, but it's also the flashiest. You get a bunch of sacks. You show up in the quarterback's face all the time. It's a good thing to do, but it's the third most important. I think the issue we've always had in, in, um, with fan perception of linebackers um, and even NFL perception of linebackers, if you make 100 tackles, people think you're a pretty good linebacker first. And then secondly, I don't think people factor in negative grades. They just don't factor in negative plays for linebackers a whole lot, um, especially if you see enough flash plays. So every time we've you know, had people, our grades haven't matched perception, it's, it's usually a guy that has a whole bunch of negatives, but also has a whole bunch of positives and flash plays. Now, I think playing linebacker in college in the NFL might be it might be the most difficult position I, I know corner on defense so i know corner's tough right you have to try to cover somebody he knows where he's going you don't and the whole thing <coughs> and you got to play zone and, the, and everything but a modern day linebacker in the nfl or in college you used to have to just play the run you used to take on fullbacks in the hole every now and again you got the second you, know, you got a 300 pound lineman coming after you in the run game and all and all that stuff still exists but now the same exact thing exists and it looks exactly the same but then sometimes it's actually going to be a pass. So, you've, you're, so you're playing your run keys, and you're like, boom, there's the pulling linebacker. Let me get to my gap. Here's where I'm going. And then, oh, by the way, the pass is being thrown behind me. So now you actually have to be able to see both of those things somehow, or you're just kind of screwed. And it's not necessarily your fault, but everything an NFL offense is doing is they're doing it to make linebackers and uh, box players, safeties, yeah. wrong. That is, I think, the crux of it, is that NFL offenses have just developed over the last 20 years to this really sophisticated level, and the position that it is hurting the most or targeting the most is linebacker. And when you think about what offenses are doing, it's essentially about generating, generating and manipulating space to put the ball into, and it's usually over the middle where the most space is. Like when you think about what a corner is doing, on the outside, that guy gets to use the sideline a lot. So that's his friend. He's limited. He's operating in a fairly limited channel a lot of the time, particularly when you start factoring in safety help and underneath help and zone help and all those kinds of things. So when we think about corners being out in an island, they actually don't have that much space that they have to deal with one-on-one -on -one with a receiver. There's only so many ways that guy can go. When you're talking about a linebacker, they oftentimes have to operate in a lot more space and have like complete axes of where they can go, right? So when you think about where those linebackers are moving, corner, uh, slot corner is often a much harder thing to do because you have that two-way go. Right. You, you, don't, you can't always just turn the guy outside. You have to worry about him going inside and outside. Linebackers have to do the same thing, but A, they're linebackers they're 50 pounds heavier than the corner that's trying to do that alongside them in the slot. B, they have to think about the run more, and it's often a run fake as opposed to anything else. Um, and C, they're way more often in zone where they have to worry about things coming in behind them as opposed to just like the guy in front of you that you have to carry every now and again. That so was the other part. They have to worry make. about like all four directions that stuff can come at them, and they're like 50 pounds heavier and slower and less mobile than the dude's that usually have to do that in the slot. Yeah, so I, I was just mentioning some of the run game stuff that they have to deal with. In coverage, 
if you're in man coverage, who are linebackers covering? Running backs and tight ends. So it's the same way you said a slot has a two-way go. Well, the running back often has a two-way go, or yep. he's running a wheel and you got to run with him. Sometimes you got to match up with the tight end who's bigger, stronger, faster than you, most likely. <laughs> then other, when you play zone, this is, this is the biggest disconnect, I think. When people watch a game and there's a 20-yard pass over the middle of the field, nobody thinks, man, that linebacker just didn't get enough depth on mm. that pass. Right? Nobody's looking at, man, that linebacker screwed up again. And I think that's where the disconnect is, where we are downgrading linebackers potentially for not getting enough depth in their zone and not discouraging those passes. That's the tricky part about playing linebacker is you have to get enough depth to discourage a 20-yard dig behind you, but then also be able to work downhill and make plays on, on passes underneath you. So again, not only is the run game and run RPOs and everything's working against you and trying to make you wrong, every passing concept is trying to make you wrong as well. They're trying to high. You don't you don't high low a corner really. You high low a linebacker. You put a high, you know a deep route and a short route, and you put the linebacker in a bind. Everything offenses are doing is trying to make the linebacker wrong. And then on top of all that, you got to tackle in space. And who do you have to tackle? Sometimes it's a 230 pound running back. Sometimes it's a 260 pound tight end. Sometimes it's a wide receiver on a little crossing route. You know, it could be a Cole Beasley or it could be a DK Metcalf. And then sometimes it's Lamar Jackson in the open field, right? And everybody has that on the defensive side of the ball, but the linebacker has it most. So everything a linebacker has to do is really, really difficult. And again, they've been hurt the most out of this or by this um, blending between the run game and the pass game, right? RPOs, play action, the Shanahan system, all of this melding of the pass game and the run game to be the same thing or at least look the same as opposed to two completely different things that you have to do each of in order to have a successful offense, the evolution of offenses to combine those two things to one cohesive unit hurts linebackers the most because they are the ones that have to, like this idea of play action works regardless of the running back, regardless of whether you set up the run, all those kinds of things, because you are screwing with what linebackers are supposed to look for. You know, you show them one thing and then hit them with something else. And that is like, that's the entire world of offense right now is messing with linebackers' keys. And it just puts those guys in a really tough spot. That's why there's like three of them grading well right now. So recent first-round linebackers, we have Isaiah Simmons last year, technically a linebacker, Kenneth Murray, uh, Jordan Brooks, and, and then Patrick Queen. Queen really struggled. Brooks didn't see the field a whole lot. Murray was just okay. Simmons started slow, but you started to see him come on last year a little bit later on Devin White hype hasn't matched the actual performance I get that he's a playmaker like he's one of those guys that the grade isn't great but I could see him being good because the the good stuff that he does is there it's legit the thing that the things that people like about him are great here's the other thing too right Devin White he had the game ending interception right and and, and that's one of the that's where like the emotional response is just so great. Everybody's like, of course, Devin White got the interception. Like, he just caught a tipped pass. <laughs> and it happened to be in the end zone. It happened to end the game. That's not Malcolm Butler making the game-winning inter interception and him making the play the entire time. That's Devin White being in the right place and catching an interception. But that's where, like, the legend grows. People think Devin White was the best player on the field in the Super Bowl, and I just, I don't see it. He wasn't even the best 
uh, Tampa Bay linebacker on the field in the Super Bowl. Levante David has been fantastic. That's the other thing, too. Like, we're grading both guys side by side. Levante is always going to have – always has had better grades. Um, Devin Bush with the Steelers, another guy that, you know, I think you see the flashes of what he's able to do. You see the athleticism, but he's struggled. Um, He was a great downhill player at Michigan who struggled with, with the ball behind him. He was a first-round linebacker. He, he was injured last year. And then the previous year was Roquan Smith, Tremaine Edmonds, Leighton Vander Esch, and Rashawn Evans all went in the first round. Roquan Smith has really started to develop. Tremaine Edmonds is another guy who's a little bit more hype than substance, I would say, on the field from a grading standpoint. Leighton Vander Esch looked like the next star linebacker, but he's been battling injuries and never really progressed after that was, was his rookie season in 2018 where he was fantastic. And then Rashawn Evans, another guy. A lot of people like him more than we do hmm. from a grading standpoint. So um, I think – and maybe we should be adjusting grading on a curve a little bit because, yeah, linebackers are just uh, being put in a bind, as we said. But the NFL doesn't have a Luke Keekley. Bobby Wagner's gotten a little bit worse the last couple of years. Fred Warner has emerged as a, as a great linebacker, but there's not a whole lot of great ones around the league right now. Yeah, it's it's – so what do you do – let's spin that forward now what does that do to this group of potential first round rookies so there's there's a couple ways that you look at this it's either this is the position that we just can't is there a difference between micah parsons our top linebacker and the 10th best linebacker do you literally just trot anybody out there because if if we're talking from a production standpoint it's not going to be great or when you have one this is the point i've made about tight end when you have a great linebacker, how big of an advantage is that compared to the rest of the league? So I have always thought that Luke Keekley for Carolina was such an incredible inv- advantage because nobody else had a Luke Keekley. And it wasn't, it's not a positional value thing. It's just your, your spot on that depth chart is so much better than everybody else in the league. And it was him and Bobby Wagner for four or five years, where it's just those two guys. Such an advantage because you're the only one that has that. Do you chase that? Could Micah Parsons be that guy? Because when you have a good one, think about all this. If you have a good one, that means he could take on those second-level blocks. That means he could play a little zone coverage. He could play a little man coverage. He can add value as a blitzer. When you have that, that adds so much to your defense. The other, the problem is it's really difficult to project those guys, and sometimes you're going to miss. So the question is, like, what should you even be looking for right now in a first-round linebacker? Because everybody oh, – two questions one what should you even be looking for and two because it's so hard right now and there's like three good ones should the whole position be getting devalued in the draft because you're wasting time even trying to find a guy who can win in a no-win situation which is what playing linebacker in the nfl currently looks like for a lot of people i think you're you're looking for somebody that's going to do something in the pass game that fits what you want to do so does a guy have zone skills right zone skills involve uh, route recognition and eyes. Uh, it also zone is also being able to match up too. Zone is also reading a route concept and running with the tight end up the seam. So if that's what you do defensively, that's what you need. If you run a lot of man coverage, chances are you're going to look for somebody that can cover backs, but also be a blitzer. Because if you run man, you're probably running some man blitzes off of that too. So I think the first question is: Does this guy support what I like to do in the pass game? And then secondly. Can he, can he play the run in a light box? How well does he play the run if he's not protected? That used to be – that was football 20 years ago, right? You'd watch a football game and 
every time you watch the Steelers or three or the Patriots when they had Vince Wilfork, the commentators would just talk about, man, that nose tackle does such a good job of eating up blockers so the linebacker can get to the ball, which is awesome. It was great old school football. Now you don't have that as much. You don't have as many defensive players in the box in general, so you don't have blocks eaten up. So you need a guy, and this is where I think Micah Parsons has a ton of value. Sideline to sideline speed. He wins with agility. He knows how to get around blockers. He knows how to see blockers coming, and he defeats them. So you need somebody that can just defeat blocks in general because you're not going to be protected in a, as a modern-day linebacker. So I think that's what you need from a run game perspective just so that you're not giving up eight yards a pop. And I think that is an advantage if you could play the run with six guys or seven guys in the box when you're, when you're outnumbered. That's what I'm looking for. Is that an answer? Yeah, it's such an interesting group of linebackers because it's a little bit like the quarterback group where there's probably a fairly um, a fairly consensus sort of top four or five. They're all vastly different stylistically. Like you've got Micah Parsons, who's this big, almost old school style, uh, physical but fast linebacker, a guy that sort of fits the perfect mold for a linebacker in like 2006. Right, yeah. But it's 2021, and what does that look like in today's NFL? Then you've got a guy like uh, JOK, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, who is more like the – he's like pushing the boundaries in the other direction, right? The absolute pin, uh, cutting edge of modern-day linebackers, incredibly small and fast, who plays almost like a slot corner more than a linebacker. Um, and then a guy like Zayvon Collins, who weighed at 270 pounds in that – medical combine thing why is zabin collins who listed at 260 why is he trying to be 270 well, maybe he's not maybe he just is maybe he always was but the point is like 270 pounds in 2021 is closer to a defensive tackle than it is a modern off the ball linebacker like friend of the show darius leonard has been saying that the dude that he plays at 215 pounds friend now yes he like he's been listed at 230 but like he says that he's been playing at like under 220 so that's more what the prototype is now these 220 or below linebackers speeding around jok is in that mold zayvon collins is like pittsburgh steelers 1990s linebackers we have to explain too because uh, we do have a lot of new listeners and this this still gets confused a lot right a three four outside linebacker that we've now classified as edge is not really a linebacker. It's not the same position, right? right. So somebody was asking, can, can Z- and people have said, can Micah Parsons play on the edge? Okay. Can Zayvon Call- Zayvon Collins at 270, is he trying to move to the edge? I, I just want to explain how rare that is. The linebacker skill set is not the edge skill set. It's not the same thing. An edge, it goes back to what I said earlier, it's a true pass rusher. You are going to rush one-on-one against a tackle 30 times a game. A blitzer is going to rush... Most usually against a back or sometimes unblocked. And every now and again, you'll have a lineman pick you up. You're going to do that eight or 10, 12 times a game if you do it a lot. So blitzing and pass rushing are not the same thing. There are almost zero examples of actual linebackers becoming edge rushers at the next level. It happens in reverse all the time. You have edge rushers that move to linebacker. Joe Schobert did it. Teddy Bruschi did it back in the day. That's a common move. Anthony Barr. Anthony Barr did it. Um, but the, again, I was trying to brainstorm who the only guys that move from linebacker to edge. Dante Hightower has a unique skill set where he could do it. Ahmad Brooks did it. Yeah, uh, for the he Niners legitimately back in the day. changed positions. Like he went from right. like prototypical 
inside linebacker in college to, oh, that doesn't work in the NFL. You're going to actually have to be a pure edge rusher. And he was a freak athlete. I mean, Ahmad Brooks used to return kicks. He was, a, he was a linebacker returning kicks in college. Also leap clean over the line of scrimmage to make a sack in the backfield or a tackle yeah. in the backfield. So it was, it's, a, it's a rare skill set. So can Micah Parsons become an edge rusher? Almost certainly no, um, because you're not, unless you're Dante Hightower. And again, even with Hightower, his was more like it was game plan oriented because that's what the Patriots do. And right. it was kind of like in a pinch. Yeah. You just kind of put him out there for 20 rushes a game or whatever it is, and he's, he's got that skill set. So just to clear that up, like Zayvon Collins is not trying to bulk up and become an edge rusher because it's just not probably yeah. his skill set. But the other, th yeah, the other thing that's weird about him is, so he's like 270 pounds, looks like this, you know, 1990 Steelers linebacker, but plays like more of a finesse coverage player, like plays like a guy, if you were describing his skill set, again, you're describing a guy who's like 220, not 270. He's just a complete freak in terms of, that matching his skill set to that body type is a weird combination that doesn't exist anywhere else. Yeah, it is. I just got to text my wife really quick. Oh, okay. Um, we so, got, um, I'm trying to get, we should get Mosquito Joe to sponsor us. Mosquito Joe? They're okay. coming to. Mosquito the house? They're calling me. They're, I think they're coming to you know get rid of the mosquitoes, right? Uh -huh. Spray for them. Um, I actually, I did a radio segment in Mississippi that I do every week. A lot of mosquitoes there, I would imagine. Well, I, it was sponsored by Mosquito Joe. There you go. And I was like, the same day that they came to my house uh -huh. a few weeks ago. How about that? Mosquito Joe, you guys want to sponsor the podcast and join us? So ultimately, I come down to, I don't really know <laughs> what to target for linebackers right now. But I do think that you might be, if you're looking for a linebacker as a major area of need, I would be pretty leery about drafting one of those guys in the first round simply because of not even the recent track record of like high draft picks panning out, just how many good linebackers are there in the NFL right now. Therefore, like obviously the job is harder than it used to be. So maybe let's not try swinging for that because we're probably going to miss. Here's, um, there's some information coming out throughout Twitter. It's not like breaking news, but first off, Baker, we can talk about this quickly. Baker Mayfield did have his fifth year option picked up. As did Denzel Ward. As did Denzel Ward. Andrew Barry's at the podium right now the Browns GM answering questions. I, I'm seeing the quote here. Andrew Berry says the Browns see 114 draftable players in this year's class. Okay. He said that's fairly normal. He says board typically ranges from 115 to 130. Uh-huh. What are your thoughts? That's fascinating to me. We have a PFF 300 over at pff.com. Yeah. You check out our draft boards, 300 people. And there's like, two, what, 250 odd 253 picks. draft picks usually i believe it's more this year because there's more compensatory more, I, picks i think it's like anyway. 260 270 this year but anyway i'm always curious to how that happens there's rumors that the patriots board is like 50 guys yeah. and and this goes back to your thing like, you just eliminate people this guy's just not a fit don't trust the off field don't trust this or he's too short or he's too tall or whatever it is and, and you just eliminate guys and you just get to your players mm-hmm but if Andrew Berry and the Browns have 115 players, say, are are those spread out? So like the bottom 10 to 20, they have sixth round grades on or yeah. seventh round grades? Or the, do you grade everybody as a fourth rounder at worst, knowing that? And they just not pick anybody. There's a whole, well, no, because there's like guys that are fourth. Because here's picture draft boards, right? The beginning of the draft, they're like this, yeah. right? Every team, all 32 teams are tight like this. And the deeper you go into the draft, they start veering. And, and it just becomes, everybody's going different ways. So there literally will be guys who go in the second round who other teams are like, are you kidding me? I wouldn't even, uh, A.J. Dillon last year. Sure. 
How many teams would even draft A.J. Dillon? I don't know. We wouldn't. So there's some teams who are like, LOL, A.J. Dillon just went in the second round. He's not even known on our board. Other in, maybe there's somebody that we loved that we would take in the second round, and other teams are like not even on our board. So I think does every team just say, we have 115 players we're willing to take in the first four rounds. And even though we have a fourth-round grade on this guy, we know 30 of these guys are going to be available in the round six and seven, so we'll be fine. But I'm just fascinated how we can list 300 players at pff.com. Like, who's the highest player on the PFF draft board that's, say, not on the Browns 115? Is it our 30th best player? Is it our 60th best player? Is it our 115th best player? Yeah. But, I mean, it, it makes sense, right? Because somewhere in that list of 300, there's a line where you're like, I don't actually want any of these guys anymore. I'm just listing them because we're listing the top 300 players available in the draft. Like, I don't want this guy on my football team, but he's better than the next stooge I'm looking at who's better than the stooge after that. Like, there's a line somewhere along the line where you're like, okay, here's the point where I am no longer interested in the human beings available in this draft. <sighs> We've got a, a million questions of, of, by the same guy in the YouTube comments about and Anthony Walker, who was the Browns linebacker signing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Will wants to know if his coach on the field skills uh, are going to help with maybe JOK and developing him. And So somebody else asked a question in the mailbag that wasn't the same but had elements of this as well. He was essentially like, are we ever going to get to a point where we can quantify leadership and these big intangible things that everybody ascribes to players and it's one of the reasons that you're like okay yeah that guy's not the best player in the world but you can't put a price on the leadership that he brings and the fact that he can get everybody lined up and all those kinds of intangible things are we ever going to reach a point where we can essentially and he, he was making the um the point that like a lot of video games do this right where it's like a passive attribute that if it's really high it's like you know plus five to everybody else in the defense on whatever like, yeah. are we going to get to a world where we can actually start to chip away at what's always been termed an intangible, and can we make it tangible at any point? I imagine it's overrated. I, I imagine it's overrated because, um, but I, but I, I'd say it's exi it, it exists. Yeah, I think one of the biggest struggles between numbers folks and scouts and coaches and all that stuff is that battle between the unquantifiable, where I think the coach will tell you, well, this guy's got intangibles, right? And the numbers people, they're not going to say it doesn't exist. They're just saying, okay, let me find a, let me find a way to quantify it. So if you're going to try to find, if you're talking about a linebacker, London Fletcher, this was London Fletcher yes. late in his career. Right. His grades. Every tackle he made was nine yards downfield, but yeah. everyone was like, the dude's a leader. He's a superhero. Yeah. And, and watching as much football as we do, there is absolutely valuable value in getting guys lined up. Yeah, of course there is. Because if you don't, like massive the one value. guy you don't the one time you don't do it it's a 60 yard touchdown right so there is value in that so from a quantifying standpoint if you know london fletcher anthony walker you're the you're the green dot guy you're the guy that gets people lined up you communicate with the secondary and all this stuff and the browns go out there and they bust two coverages all year and that's the lowest in the league then that's an actual data point that you can look to and say okay that's great uh, this happened with uh was it ryan khalil signed with the jets uh, a couple of years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And um, some of the O-line gurus, were, were they, they came after us, Sam. Ryan Khalil was coming off one or two years of terrible yeah. PFF grades. And people came out and they said, look, I don't care about the grade. They'll get the protection right every single snap. Protection's going to be right. He's a leader, blah, blah, blah. He goes out there, grades just as poorly. Fine. 
Okay, well, let's let's check in on the thing that he's going to do well. Unblocked pressure, pressure in general, and all that stuff. Nothing changed for Sam Darnold. So if Sam, if, so if Ryan Khalil's one attribute that he's bringing is communication and no busted coverages, and the O line is going to be on the same page, and the O line is terrible it, at that particular thing or in general, then there's no value there. So I think there's ways to quantify. Right, so if if it is a leadership thing and getting people lined up, let's look at busted coverages. Let's look at are the are there players around him where you have previous data where they have elevated their game. Right, um, does the defense as a whole? And this is something our grades do pretty well. You can look at our grades, which are individual based, and then you can look at the just the general results of the results of the defense EPA against however you want to measure that. And there are certain instances where defenses outperform what the player grades are. And when that happens, you could say, okay, what is that variable? Is it the defensive coordinator? Is it scheme? Is it the opposing offenses? Maybe there's some leadership and stuff in there. I think so you can also, be. with the amount of rotation and injuries and all these kinds of things now, you can probably also get somewhere down the line in terms of just on-off splits, right? What, is the, what does it look like when this guy's on the field? What does it look like when he's not on the field? Can we see a big difference here? They're just noisy, though. Of course, but all of this is going to be noisy. Um, what I, and I think it also is going to vary by position. Like, obviously, the inspiration that you can bring from a quarterback is probably a lot higher than it is from, like, number two corner, you know, even if he's a great leader. Like, there's something to the idea that the, the aura that Joe Montana had, right, regardless of how many interceptions he threw during the game, it's like, oh, don't worry. As soon as, as, soon as Joe gets cooking in the fourth quarter, we win. It doesn't matter that we're 21 points down and that Joe threw three picks already and that's why we're in a hole. It's like, no, Joe's going to bring us back. We're good. There's almost certainly a huge amount of value to that, but it's way more because he's a quarterback than it is for like, hey, our defensive end is going to make eight sacks and dig us out of this hole. Um, so, yeah, I think by position it's going to, to vary as well. I love Andrew Barry. Some guy on Twitter, by the way, just sent me a thing that, you know, this, this idea of, yeah, it's lazy, but Asante Samuel Jr. is Asante Samuel Sr. He dug up a just a sequence of parameters that essentially describe all of his uh, numbers via, you know, that RAS, RAS score? Yeah. Relative athletic Relative score. Athletic, yeah. uh, and apparently using the parameters that he did, the only two cornerbacks uh, ever to meet those ranges are Asante Samuel Jr. and Sr., uh, you can you can set together a group of parameters in terms guy. of height, weight, size, speed, athleticism, where they are the only two humans in the database that fit that parameters. They are the same human. All right, let's wrap it up with this. I said I love Andrew Barry because he's still out there making smart quotes. Um, so it's a uh, last year the Browns needed a left tackle. So Andrew Barry says doesn't want any. Uh, this year they don't have any glaring needs. Andrew Barry wants no part of that storyline. This is Aditi. Um, her Twitter but the quote is it's certainly always nice when a particular need aligns with your draft slot but your needs today are not your needs tomorrow mm. that is that has been one of my draft axioms for a while in trying to remind fans you're not sitting there filling out a depth chart now some teams as we said a million times this draft season are forced their hand is forced they're so desperate at a position it has to be addressed um, and if it's not addressed in the draft they have to figure it out sometime after the draft or after releases and all that stuff. Um, we also have an article up at pff.com right now that ranks all 32 rosters heading into the draft. The Browns are second behind the Tampa Bay Bucks, Just all around roster depth. And this happens every single year. 
if you've ever tried a mock draft or you try a mock draft simulator over at pff.com you go through and it's like all right i'm going to draft for the bucks who have the number one roster the browns who have number two the chiefs have number three the chiefs have more actual holes but if you're the bucks or the browns a lot of people mock draft and they're like uh they need a left guard or they need a, bat, a safety and you just but the bucks and the browns don't have any needs but we could be sitting here a year from now being like, man, the Bucks have to reload at receiver. All their cornerback contracts are up. Uh, all of their defensive linemen underachieved. And all of a sudden, they've got three glaring needs at important positions. Which is why you always have to draft the best players and look long-term. A couple of years ago, the Falcons were in this position. Think about that. The Falcons were the team that had no glaring needs on their roster when we were mock drafting a few years ago. The Jaguars were in this position. That's why, and then they added Leonard Fournette, and it's like, well, that's the one spot in the depth chart that we need. The 49ers and the Seahawks have both been there in recent years as well, where it's like they're 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 in the they're in the position where they're drafting luxury picks. Remember, like somebody drafted uh, Lattimore just to sit him on the bench for a year when he got healthy because they could. Marshawn, I mean, Marcus. No, uh, yeah, Marcus. Marcus. I yeah, I knew it was Marcus. Which was, you know, my strategy of, well, they had like 12 picks that year. That right, but still, like, they, the they, they reached the period where this, uh, this roster was so good that they could like redshirt people. Yeah, right. And, and that, it just, it happens so quickly. I got um, one more question I want to end with. Um, essentially, <laughs> what's, Atlanta wants the hell out of the number four overall pick. How should they best, what should they be doing to drum up business in number four? Because I've been pitching this idea that I don't think they're getting offers. Because if you're Denver or New England or Washington or Chicago, you why would you need to get to four? I just don't. You can get to six or seven or eight or whatever. You don't need to get to four if you're if you're in need of that next quarterback. If they go one, two, three, and number four or five are available, if you're a quarterback needy team, you don't need to get to Atlanta because you know Atlanta's not taking one. You know Cincinnati's not taking one. You know Miami isn't taking one. And then Detroit is your first question mark, your wild card. So if you're Atlanta, what should you be throwing out there into the world to try and get people to jump up to four? Should you be planting these stories about how, hey, the Falcons are actually looking for Matt Ryan's successor and they really love Justin Fields and all this kind of stuff? I think that would be one way. The other thing I'm curious about is we mentioned Miami being at six and getting a blue chip player teams are willing to trade up for quarterbacks obviously but are they still willing to trade up for a player are they still willing to trade up for a Kyle Pitts a Jamar Chase or a Panay Sewell so I think that is one of the keys there's rumors about the Chargers potentially trading up the Chargers are a left tackle away so I think that's I think that's how you do it Atlanta Atlanta's mall if there's if there's three blue chippers Pitts Sewell and Chase Atlanta's mulling all of those guys. Also on the table, they're willing to they're willing to let a quarterback sit. They're willing to take a quarterback, let him sit for a couple of years, and learn behind Matt Ryan. Now you've you've covered all your bases. QB needy teams are are curious, and then teams that might be willing. Say it's the Panthers at eight. I mean they're same division, but um, if the Broncos aren't going to go quarterback, would they want one of those blue chippers? Does Dallas want to come up from ten to get a Panay Sewell? Does um, any who else would be in the pits? So does does do the Dolphins want to come from six to four to assure their guy? I, you know, so there. I would just drum it up that all 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 options are on the table, right? It does feel that 
if it, like the mo- the thing that they could do the most to persuade teams that they need to get to four is put it out there that they want they like the quarterbacks right the the thing that would scare you the most if you're Denver or New England or whoever it is looking for that fourth or fifth quarterback is the fear that number four quarterback goes at number four because at the moment you're probably projecting the number four quarterback lasts to like seven or eight because the Falcon, because of those teams not taking one right if you suddenly have to think oh crap what if the fourth quarterback goes number four overall and Atlanta is willing to sit this guy for one or two years now the only guy left is number five and we're at pick number five now that changes everything it depends but on who, re- that, who I mean it depends on your rankings too. of course but, but I mean that there really isn't anything out there right now about Atlanta liking that, quarterback that's why I've been saying I don't think there is as many trades at the top it's also why I just don't see I don't think they're getting out of that spot I don't I, I, I don't there's nothing out there right now that shows that a team needs to get that high to get the fourth or fifth quarterback I can't wait to be wrong again because last year I thought there was a ridiculous number of trades yeah they're going up to get Tua they're going up to get their guy right I just don't know if there's going to be as many trades because how many how many teams are desperate for a quarterback beyond three? I mean desperate. Like if they don't come out of the first round with a quarterback, you're they're really upset. <laughs> there's there's massive problems. It Denver is Denver the only team until I mean if if so if I'm saying here's I think Denver is the most quarterback desperate team. The most desperate in the draft. The most desperate teams, I would say, Denver, and then for different reasons, Washington. I wouldn't even put Washington. No, I don't think they're desperate. I, I think they'll, they'll be interested if things align the right way. I would say Denver and Chicago are the only teams that would have, you know, code red levels of desperation, because in in the Bears, it's not be, in, in the the Bears are in the same position as the football team. They just brought in Fitzpatrick and Dalton, right? But the Bears have this ryan pace pressure right to like get the quarterback position right and if they could somehow get like a trey lance or something that might buy him more time or so you know what i mean the bears are in such a tough spot because they uh, there were all these noises about the big splash that they were going to make for a quarterback and everything was going to be good and then you come out of it with andy dalton now if you're going to make that big splash in the draft the name at the end of it needs to be something that excites people, right? You can't make, like, you can't be the team if you're Chicago that jumps up 10 spots and drafts Mac Jones, can you? Like, because then you're like, all right, Andy Dalton was the answer, and now Mac Jones is the answer. You're welcome, you know? Or they're the team that, like, drafts the, the sixth quarterback in the first round, you know? You're, you're Davis Mills or yeah. Kyle Trask becomes your answer. Like at some point, you're just too much of a punchline, no? You can't, you no. can't sell that to everybody. Look, you, you got to take shots at the quarterback position, even if you're the Bears and you failed before. So yeah, you're not. You're but not it's gonna... not that you failed; it's that you've sort of, you've already become this like farcical situation where you're like, okay, our big splash is Andy Dalton, and now you go and do it again, and okay, our big splash was Davis Mills in the first round. No, not in the first round. I'm not taking them. Right. Or your big splash was we traded up, we gave away next year's first round pick, and Mac Jones is now our. But Davis Mills isn't a bad first round pick because it didn't make the right big splash. It's because he's not a first round player. That's the problem. Yeah, but I just think if you're Chicago, there's only there's only so many things you can do that doesn't make you look kind of silly. I think that probably is relevant. Like these are guys fighting for their jobs. 
can you really come out of a free agency and a draft having signed Andy Dalton and then made a big trade up for like Mac Jones? Yeah, I, I just don't, I, I just don't see the movement as much because of this, because of what we're saying. So I think Atlanta is going to be stuck at four because of this, unless they can figure out drumming up blue chip player interest. I, I think Kyle Pitts has that ability. I think I think somebody could fall in love with Kyle Pitts enough, even if you just even if you say, well, tight ends a risky position I and think never gets drafted that. that high, right? All, but I still think Pitts is that different, right? So I here's why Pitts might be worth it, and honestly, he might not. He might be like a forty catch, five hundred yard guy his first year. He really might be. Like I could see that, right? Yeah. It does take time for some of these guys. But I could see that because there's just not a lot of great tight ends around the NFL. There's some good ones, but not a lot of great ones. The Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller advantage. Who am I missing? Uh, Kittle, right? There's three elite tight ends. That's it. Yeah. And if you could have the fourth, it's just like a, having a Keekly or a Wagner at a position. Maybe it's not as valuable as others, but you, but you have such an advantage at that position. I could see teams buying into that. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to finish with this. Last year at this time, where are we going to be surprised? Because last year at this time, here's where we were surprised. I was surprised last year when Tua fell to five and the Dolphins just got him and didn't give up any of their first-round picks. Uh, I was surprised when Herbert went at six. I thought that he would go a little bit lower. We were surprised that Henry Ruggs was the top wide receiver off the board. Yeah. We talked about three receivers potentially going in the top ten. Henry Ruggs, C.D. Lamb, and Jerry Judy. Ruggs went first at 12, Judy at 15, C.D. Lamb at 17. Uh, we were surprised when Kenneth Murray, the Chargers traded back up into the first round to get Kenneth Murray, linebacker out of Oklahoma. He, a lot of people had a first-round grade on him. We didn't. But look at some of these other picks, man. The whole Everything in the 20s. Cesar Ruiz, first round to the Saints. Everything in the 20s. Brandon Ayuk, 25 to the Niners. The Packers trading back up to get Jordan Love. I mean, that was, yeah. The Seahawks taking third-round linebacker Jordan Brooks. The Titans taking third-round tackle Isaiah Wilson at 29, Titans legend. Uh, and then the Chiefs taking Clyde Dol edwards -Alaire. Dolphins legend. Dolphins legend as well, yes. I mean, yeah. Uh, so I'm just saying, like, all of this that we're talking about, we're going to be sitting here. I can't wait until a week from now, a week from right now, we could say, how about that first round? There was like 15 things that we weren't expecting there. Yeah. I mean, nobody's ever anywhere near with their, <laughs> with their mock drafts. As much as we think we have this really good handle on how certainly the first, like the top 10 is going to unfold, it's going to be nowhere near what we thought it was, probably. Just that's the way it works. It's fun because, look, it's not I, – I like talking about what's going to happen, but I like talking about the strategy behind what these decisions are and the way teams handle it. Andrew Barry continues to make great statements. You can never have too many cover players, right? Want to have a lot of players that can cover, mm. play corner. So, yeah, really smart. Good stuff. Uh, by the way, we also have another deal going, Underdog Fantasy. Go to Underdog Fantasy. P use promo code PFF. Deposit 10 bucks, and you get a free PFF Edge annual. So that's Underdog Fantasy. Go check that out. And I got to pull up my uh, – I talk about DraftKings really quick. If I could pull it up. <laughs> Hmm. Very professional, Steve. Masvidal and Usman put on a show last time. Somebody told me that they didn't. But just buy into it. They did. <laughs> Round two is sure to pack a punch in DraftKings Sportsbook. The official sports betting partner of UFC is putting you at the center 
of this weekend's title fight with 26 to 1 odds on either title contender to reign victorious. Now, this is really easy, Sam. Even if MMA isn't your thing, DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more. But you got to go download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code PFF when you sign up, and you can turn $5 into $130 if the title contender of your choice wins. Place your bet. Watch the fist fly this weekend. That's promo code PFF to turn $5 into $130 if the fighter of your choosing takes home the crown for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Can you read the terms and conditions? No. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, West, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. See, you tried to crack wise, and then it, it threw off your whole game. Up. I screwed it up. Cool, man. What else you got? draft discussion i thought that was it but you wanted to finish with that and now we're at i never want to more people are just coming into the youtube chat and i just want to talk football all day but that's it for us we're gonna be back on monday next week's draft week so here's the deal um should we announce some winners okay let's announce some winners can you pull one out nope why not i told you this is your thing i was dealing with the the mail bank for whatever the hell else we were doing you decided you were going to start pulling. write down these names at least for me uh, Bo Klein. What? Bo Klein. Bo as in B-E-A-U. Oh. Klein. K-L-I-N-E. K-L-I-N-E. All right. Bo Klein, you're a winner. Um, we'll send you guys an email with the instructions for PFF Edge Annual. But Bo Klein sends us his subscription to both the PFF NFL Podcast and the PFF NFL Daily. And he drops us a note and says, I listen to you guys more than I listen to my wife. Hmm. Subscribe to both podcasts and the YouTube Keep up the great work. So, Bo Klein, you've earned it. Free PFF Edge annual. And then let's check out Austin Sosa. Austin Sosa, as in Sammy Sosa. Hmm. Okay. Um, As in our Sosa. Uh, Austin Sosa, you've also won. So, that's two more winners. Free PFF Edge annual. Gary Hughes from the last show. And then I forget the name of our first winner. But we're going to get all of that stuff out over the weekend to get to talk to our people over here. So that's four PFF Edge annuals we have given out because we've gotten screenshots of subscriptions to the PFF NFL podcast, the PFF NFL Daily. So keep sending those in, and we'll keep handing out PFF Edge annuals as we go. We thanks to everybody for tuning in. Always appreciate all of the discussion, interaction. Keep the emails coming. See you guys on Monday.